Well, good morning, and thank you, Joe, for leading us in worship, and I trust that this has been a good week for you, and it's great to be able to come together via live stream and worship together. Uh, we're looking forward maybe in a couple of weeks, God willing, for us to be able to have in-house uh, worship together again, as well as live stream, and pray towards that end. But, uh, you know, it's interesting when Joe says something like, you may be seated, I'm thinking, well, were they standing, or were they lounging, or were they, you know, distracted, whatever it may be. It doesn't really matter, but I pray that in these moments, you will continue to try to direct your focus to what God has for you where you're at, whether in your living room, or maybe um, out on a walk even, or whatever it may be. I want us to continue to uh, walk through this series that we started. This is now our fourth week called Up Your Game. And uh, the challenge has been for us to look at our own lives and uh, envision some of the practices that we can put into place to strengthen our spiritual life and to strengthen our service in God's work. And even if you are a non-believer this morning and you're tuning in and the whole Christian thing is a little bit, you're not quite so sure about it, uh, it's great to be able to focus on some of these disciplines, some of these uh, practices, uncommon practices we're calling them, because they can be instilled in your life if you choose to cross that line of faith to become a Christ follower. And what it is, is not a, a list of do's and don'ts that you need to have established in your life in order to gain uh, right standing with God. Your standing with God is based not upon what you have done, but upon what Jesus did. And he went to the cross, he died on the cross, he rose from the grave, breaking the chains of death, but also providing the forgiveness of our sins so that you and I can have life. And I want to encourage you that if you're a non-believer and you're listening in today, Jesus wants to have a relationship with you. And when you step into that relationship, he wants you to have a full life and he has plans for you. And as we're looking at these specific practices that we want to incorporate in our life to up our game, they are practices that are not uh, religious uh, badges to wear, but they are practices to equip us, to empower us, to bring us into alignment with God's purposes and to strengthen us to do all he's called us to do. And all of us know that during this season of the COVID journey, which is now going into its sixth month, uh, it's been a challenging one for us. But we should not be setting aside uh, our time and thinking, well, we'll wait it out or we'll get back into church someday, whatever it may be, because the relationship you have with Jesus Christ as a believer in him is a dynamic one that is always moving forward, hopefully moving forward one day at a time, one week at a time, and you can grow spiritually in this season. And I know that many of us have. It was, testimony was given Wednesday night when we had our uh, midweek uh, service in the back lot outside and just some of the things that God is doing and even strengthening people with their sense of joy and victory. God is at work. He's at work in your life. He's at work in my life. He's at work in our life as a church family. And today we pick up on the fourth week of this series, Up Your Game, Uncommon Practices uh, for Greater Life Impact. Here's a question I have for you. Have you ever been uh, in a team sport where there's somebody whose uh, agenda was not necessarily to win the game, but to pat their stats and look good themselves? Uh, there were many a, a game of basketball that I participated in where there was what was called a, a gunner. Do you know what a gunner is? A running gunner. No, he would always take the ball down the court, uh, and they would be shooting the ball, and they wouldn't pass it around. They would uh, be focused on themselves. Now, maybe they thought they could win the game because they were the best athlete, and many times they were a good uh, shooter, but uh, they were not 
mindful that there were other participants, not for the sake of getting everybody involved, but a team win is much stronger than an individual win. In fact, many sports teams have had great athletes and great performers, but they've never won titles. And part of the reason they don't win titles is because it wasn't a team dynamic. Now, there may be a, a skill set involved, I understand that, but uh, I am interested in upping our game, not just as individuals, but as a team. But when you run through out onto the field of life, you need to be mindful that you are playing as a team for an audience of one, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And your headspace cannot be distracted by your own self-centeredness. Now, many times our headspace gets distracted because of circumstances. Maybe uh, the exciting things happening or maybe there's difficult things happening. All right. I, I, I read uh, just uh, yesterday that one of the quarterbacks of the NFL had to leave camp for, right before a scrimmage because his uh, mother passed away. That would be distracting now, wouldn't it? But when we're out there on the field, our headspace should be focused on it being a team sport and us coming together to serve the audience of one, to be able to win all that God has for us to win in this life. And it should not be self-centered. And so the practice that we're going to look at tonight, the, this morning, is actually goes to the heart of this issue of being other-centered, being God-centered, rather than self-centered. And we're going to get to that in a second, but I want to position to you what Jesus spoke on, one of the things He spoke on the most in all of His teachings. Do you know what it was? It had to do with the resources that He's entrusted to us. It had to do with money. Now, when you hear that subject, you're thinking, oh, maybe this is one of those moments where I need to uh, go to another channel, or maybe there's something else I need to do. Friends, it wasn't that Jesus spoke on the subject of money because of money itself. It's what money reflected, and money can reflect where our heart's at when we're in the game of life. And if we're going to up our game, there's focus that's needed here. In fact, Jesus uh, two-thirds of his parables were about taking care of resources or money and wealth. Ten percent of all of his teaching was directed that way. So you would think it would be natural that if we're looking at uh, uncommon practices, that some of those practices are going to have to come with where we're at as it relates to the issue of money and stewardship of it. Now, I'm very mindful that during this run of COVID, there's all kinds of crazy things that have been happening when it relates to finances and our, our monetary worlds. I know it's true in my own life, and, and I was encouraged this last week to, uh, to realize that they've extended uh, uh, some of the grace on the whole educational loan business. I'm like, oh, that's good. That's a win for me kind of deal. And there's other accommodations that are being made in order to help people as we move through a very challenging time, not only with social distancing and being out and around, but a challenging time as it relates to financial resources and us having the means to make ends meet. So I'm mindful that we are in a place where maybe taking on the subject that Jesus is addressing today is not one that's too comfortable 
or one that your mind might go into some different places. But Jesus directed it with the money and resources back to the issues of the heart, back to the issues of where our headspace is at as we're on the team in the kingdom of God and what he's called us to do. And so with you, I invite you to pull up a chair and let's talk about one of the uncommon practices in a bit that I want to encourage you to consider incorporating into your life. Jesus, when he was in his teaching mode, he knew where people's headspace was too. And they were trying to make ends meet and they were trying to press forward. It was a much different kind of monetary system in one sense, but as human beings struggling with the same kinds of things that we struggle with today, 2,000 years later. And in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says this. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Now, why would he say that? Because a lot of life is consumed about gaining treasure, gaining things, possessions, material things, making uh, life comfortable, if you will. And so he is saying, do not focus on storing up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and, the, and, and rust destroy. Now, clothing items in his day were um, very, not only important, they were uh, very va valuable kinds of things. And so moths would destroy clothing and rust destroy the actual word there uh, is changed in uh, the new, newer NIV even where it says and vermin destroy because the brisis word, a Greek word, is referencing that which deteriorates, that which eats away, that which could mean rust like corroding, but it also could mean uh, like a vermin, uh, vermin uh, being able to uh, eat away the grain or to be able to, to uh, destroy other things. I remember a couple, three years ago, we'd bought a, a, an oven, uh, a double set oven to be able to put in our new home and I'd put it in the garage and we left it in the garage so it wouldn't rust outside, right? But when we went to put it in a few months later, Mice had got all through the thing and eaten the wires and really destroyed the stuff. And it took a while to put it back together, let alone get rid of the smell. Material things can be destroyed. Treasures here on earth will dissipate. If you've ever bought a new car, you're amazed at how it depreciates and goes down in value so quick. And then you end up upside down on it sometimes, right? So he's saying material things, be careful. Do not store for yourselves treasures. Don't put your mind or your heart there because moths can destroy, rust can destroy, and thieves can break in and steal. Let's take a step back. Let's take stock in what our possessions are. And if our headspace for being in the game is to accumulate more of the treasures, more of the stuff here on earth, then we need to be mindful and we need to be careful. And so he goes on and says, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, in the spiritual realm, the eternal realm, where moths and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then a very classic verse, Matthew 6, 21. For where... Your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, we may not think much that we're materialistic or focused uh, on uh, me, 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 and what I can get and that kind of thing. But here's the reality. Whatever treasures you have, and some of them may be expensive, some of them may be just precious to you, you are mindful of that treasure, 
and you need to take care of it or you're going to protect it and your headspace goes towards where your treasures are. If you've recently invested in a, a new stock or a company that's an upstart company or something, you're going to be watching to see where that is. I come from a farm background, and I have you know, still some connections with uh, the family farm. I follow the commodities market for corn and soybeans from the Midwest. You know, it's like, is it up or down? Why? I have some investment kind of connection in that world especially with my extended family. And so I want to exhort us that when Jesus says this, he's not coming down on us for having such a, a hoarding kind of materialistic mindset as much as he's saying, listen, whatever you are investing resources, it's going to pull with it your heart. It's going to move your emotions and your time and your mindset. So make sure, Jesus says, that your treasures are not in earthly things which can go away, but that your treasures are in heaven. A couple verses later, he says this then, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So Jesus is coming into the locker room. He's talking to us as a team. And he says, friends, when uh, men, women, um, young men, young women, uh, children, when we go out there on the field to play life, you cannot have a double-mindedness. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, there's nothing wrong with money. There's nothing wrong with resources. And God richly provides and gives to us substance in life. And He uses that to teach us and to train us. And we offer gifts back to Him. But He's wanting to know where our focus is at in life. Have you this last week been consumed with finances? Have you worried this last week about making some payments? And maybe rightly so. You need to be thinking wisely through that. You know, hey, interest rates are great right now. I'm even looking at a refinance on something. And so you're like, okay, it's all right to have thoughts going that direction, but is our heart going that direction? And do we have worry that's being bred into us? You see, Jesus also in this same chapter would say, do not worry about tomorrow, for every day has enough worries of its own. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Jesus is continually trying to get us as a team to make sure that when we go out on the field of life or when we play from day to day and week to week, our focus is set on Him and His purposes, and we're not out there in a self-centered way running and gunning and trying to pat our stats to make ourselves look good or impress other people. Or to maybe try to fill a hole in our own heart, thinking that material things are what we need. Friends, this isn't just an issue and concern for generations past, or even our generation, or even in the Western culture of America. It's historically true for humankind that there is a pressing burden or a pressing passion, or a pressing sin, even if you will, to be a consumer and gather and get 
and thinking in that, that there's safety, peace, and joy in life. One of my favorite quotes as it relates to financial resources and this issue of material things come from A.W. Tozer. And we mention Tozer a lot. Sometimes we refer to him as a prophet before his time. He uh, died in the early part of the 60s. But listen to what Tozer says related to the issue of material things and the human soul. He says this in a book that I highly recommend called The Pursuit of God. Everybody should read The Pursuit of God. Get online and go look for it and walk your way through it. Walk your way through it. But he has in this book uh, called The Pursuit of God a subject matter called The Tyranny of Things and a chapter on the blessedness of owning nothing, actually. And he says this, There is within the human heart a tough, fibrous root of fallen life whose nature it is to possess, always to possess. It covets things with a deep and fierce passion. The pronouns me and my look innocent enough in print, but their constant and universal use is significant. They express the real nature of the old Adamic nature, the old Adamic man, better than a thousand volumes of theology could do. They are verbal symptoms of our deeper disease. The roots of our hearts have grown down into things, and we dare not pull up one rootlet lest we die. Things have become necessary to us, a development never originally intended. God's gifts now take the place of God, and the whole course of nature is upset by the monstrous substitution. And it is monstrous. If you were to just do a thermometer check right now, how's your temperature related to the issue of things and possessing and acquiring or taking care of things or worry that things that you have are going to disappear or your investments are going to you tumble, whatever it may be. Just a heart check. Because it can become a monstrous thing. In fact, I call it the tyrant of materialism. And the tyrant of materialism is always lurking around the corner, especially when we see what other people have, when we realize what we don't have, what we long to have, when uh, we uh, you know, watch commercials or when we observe uh, the trends of culture and the new things that come out. The tyrant of materialism has to be dealt with. And the tyrant of materialism can be dealt with in multiple ways, but I want to present to you a practice today that you don't have to do the practice. We're going to explain about that. But this uncommon practice is uncommon because it's unthinkable. It's unthinkable that people today would do it. Some do it because they were trained and taught in it. Others are like, I don't know that it's really for today. Is it biblical or whatever? But this is the uncommon practice for presentation for you to consider today. Trustworthy tithing. Trustworthy tithing. Maybe you know what tithing is. We'll try to explain that a little bit. Maybe you have various opinions on tithing and if you should do it or not do it. But it is an uncommon practice and more so every year in America, I believe. In fact, it's said today that 2.7% of evangelicals, that's it, 
tithe. What does that mean, Carrie? Well, we're going to talk about it. But it has to do with your resources. It has to do with putting to death this tyrant of materialism. And it has to do with honoring God and having a greater life impact. And I put the word trustworthy to it because that's the essence of what God's trying to teach us through the subject matter of tithing. But I'm mindful, like I mentioned, this is not an easy subject. When I was a younger man, I was always hesitant to speak on the subject of matter. Tozer also says this, the whole subject of the believer and his money is so involved and so intimate that one hesitates to even approach a consideration of it. Yet it is of such great importance that one who wishes to qualify as a servant of Christ or play and up their game well, dare not avoid it lest they be found wanting in the day of reckoning. Well, here's the fact of the matter. I've had my own journey as it relates to uh, tithing and giving to God and honoring Him with the resources that He's entrusted to me. Uh, and so I have my own day of reckoning. But as a pastor, I also have my own day of reckoning relating to teaching on this matter. If Jesus Christ had 10% of His teaching devoted in some regards to money and resources and wealth, then why would he not expect me to carry on that teaching? Two-thirds of his parables, like I mentioned, devoted to the subject matter. So there is a reckoning in each of our own hearts and lives, and it's all right to feel the weightedness of that today, if you're still hanging with me. And it's also uh, a weighty matter for me personally as a pastor. I get asked the question a lot during this run, well, how are the church finances doing? In fact, you may have thought, I'm speaking on it because church finances aren't doing that well. Well, I want to encourage you that uh, we have been amazed, as staff and a board, uh, that God has sustained us with people's tithes and offerings. And we have been through these months. Uh, summer month is always a little bit weaker. But he's sustaining us related to what we anticipated uh, receiving to be able to steward, to use resources to forward God's kingdom. So that's really not the issue. We have some difficult matters in that we thought the facility would be open and generate some revenues and those kinds of things. And so, you know, there's about thirty, maybe $40,000 that will be short by the end of the year related to the facility uh, use and renting it out or whatever it may be. But God knows. He knows our needs. He's provided us. In fact, if I have to smile to myself this month, do you realize what was happening a year ago this time? A year ago this time, we were all celebrating when we were rocking in this room that I'm in currently because we were able to cross the line through sacrificial giving on your behalf and through a drop in price to be able to purchase the facility that we have that we can't currently meet in, but hopefully will in a couple of weeks again. I mean, that was a great journey, and God worked in our hearts then. But you know... That was a year ago, and, and uh, where our treasure is, there our hearts go too, and so it sort of moves around, and if we're going to play the game well, and we're going to be there for the purposes of God, have a great life and serve His purposes, then we have to look at this subject matter, but looking at this subject matter has, doesn't have to do with, oh, the church needs money. There's a lot of churches that uh, are challenged and are weak. In fact, Barna came out this last week and said that within 18 months, uh, the belief is that one in five churches will close. And part of that has to do with because of the resources and what happened during the COVID journey. So there's a lot of concern there. We're very grateful for us as a church. 
But I come to you today not in the sense of, oh my gosh, the church needs to ramp it up and get us all fired up to give again. And uh, No, it becomes because there's a day of reckoning for each one of us, and I'm responsible as a pastor to call all of us to reckon with this. Where's it at? Where's it at in our heart? And Jesus says you can't serve two masters. Either you will um, love the one and hate the other. Jesus, Jesus is concerned not about your money. He's concerned about your heart. He's concerned about where your headspace is at when you're out there trying to serve Him in the purposes of life. Is it about acquiring and gaining and, and storing up things for yourselves? Or is it about storing up treasures, eternal treasures in heaven? I want to encourage you to have a shift of mindset in two ways today. You ready? Here's the shift of mindset. I want you to put to death the tyrant of materialism to have a greater joy in your life and a greater life impact. And here's the shift of mindset. There's two things. The first thing I want to make sure, and we have to come back to it. I came back to it again this week going, oh, that's right. The first mindset shift is that God owns everything you got. He owns it all. Everything you have made, everything you have bought, and everything that you long for or covet. He owns everything in this world. And He is determined to make sure that we understand, moving into eternity, that though we can't take things with us, we are a part of His kingdom and His reign, and He is the owner of all things. It says this in 1 Chronicles 29.10. It's a prayer of David's. It's really great. It says, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty, the splendor for everything, everything in heaven and on earth, is mine. No, David didn't say that. It's yours. He's in this beautiful prayer moment and he's reckoning with the fact that God owns everything in heaven on earth. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. It's a powerful prayer. Is that a prayer that comes from your heart, an acknowledgement that God owns all things and that He can take care of your needs? It's His strength that's over all. I want to shift your mindset if you got into acquisition mode or the new next best improved things, the upgrade, whatever it may be. But step back and say, you know, let's not store up for ourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. You know why? Because, well, God owns everything. And even if you're in a desperate financial need this morning, this is encouraging. God owns everything. And we are called to be able to lean into Him when we have need. He has provision. He is able to give richly. You know, as the story's told of John Wesley, old-time preacher, great powerful preacher, started Methodist church uh, circles and movement, and uh, actually in some of the formative history of who we are as a denomination, uh, there's the Wesleyan Holiness Movement. 
Wesley, though, he would travel and preach, but that was before cars, so he did it on horseback. And one day, uh, there's someone who came running up to him and their horse and rode up alongside John Wesley and said, Mr. Wesley, Mr. Wesley, something terrible has happened. Your house is burned to the ground. Mr. Wesley paused and reflected for a moment. And he said, no, the Lord's house is burned to the ground. That means I have one less responsibility. Now, I don't know if Wesley knew that a preacher 2,000 years later was going to say something that made it reflect some sanctimonious saying, but that's not the purpose of this because it's not. It's reflective of John Wesley's heart knowing that he owned nothing. He owned nothing. The fact of the matter was that everything he had was God's. You make that shift in your mind, it's going to help you a tremendous amount when it comes to the material tyrant that tries to dig its heels into our life. God owns everything you got, everything you made, bought, or longed for. I find this interesting also that uh, Corey Ten Boom, some of you remember her, she was a uh, a prisoner in the Nazi um, extermination camps, and God uh, made a way out for her, and she's a very powerful, spiritually uh, deep person. And she says this in a book called The Reflections of God's Glory. She traveled the world speaking and sharing about God's love and these type of things, and she says this, My finances are always in the realm of God's miracles. He is my heavenly treasure. When I need money, and I often do, I say to him, Father in heaven, in the Bible, it says that you have cattle on a thousand hills. That's quite a lot. Will you sell your cows and give me the money? He always does so, she says. You know, we believe God for um, a lot of the things he's done. He's created us. He's redeemed us. He's coming back to take us to be with Him. Can we not trust God that He knows our financial need and what's going on in our heart? Can we not trust Him as it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in one. And here's someone who had nothing. Corey ten Boom lost everything, was on the brink of death in a Nazi prison camp, and God showed Himself faithful. She also said this comment, there is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. Maybe you're in a financial pit. Well, God owns everything and He can provide. That statement that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, my dad would often reference that. Well, Carrie, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And it's true. I only need one, maybe, to be able to make ends meet. God is the owner and the resourcer of all things. Our mind shift needs to go that direction to be able to receive confidence for our everyday life and not be exhausted and spent, especially maybe on the run of these last few months and all that's going on in your life. The second mind shift is this. You are a steward of all he's got, everything in heaven and on earth. So if God owns everything, then I'm a steward of all that he's got. Now, <clears throat> Bear with me for a second here as I press into you a little bit. If you're a Christian believer and you're still hanging with me today, you know these two, and it's like, got that, Carrie, what's next? Let's move on. Lunch is cooking. No, stop. 
You may believe it with your head, but do you believe it with your heart and how you live out your life? That God is the owner of all things in heaven and on earth. Everything you got is His. Do you believe that you are called to be a steward of all that He's got? This is His plan for your life and my life. To steward things. When He created Adam and Eve, put them in the garden, He said what? Take care of the garden. Whose garden was it? Well, they didn't create it. He created this beautiful paradise and He placed Adam and Eve in the garden to steward life and all of creation. And He wants us to do the same. That's why the Apostle Paul in his day exhorted Timothy and others in 1 Timothy 6.17 this way. Command those who are rich in this present world. Let me stop there for a second. That's not the Bill Gates kind of people in life, right? You're thinking those are the rich kind or your boss or the six-figure salary person. All of us are rich in this world. If you were to take your salary, even if it's just $30,000, $40,000, you're in the top 5% of income wages earners in the world. This was written for all of us. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. That's exactly why Corey Ten Boom said what she said. He is my financer, my treasure. God has a desire to bring provision into your life. And maybe that's all you needed to hear today and just seek Him out and ask for one of those cows on one of the hills. The Lord wants to provide for you. He knows your need. Continue to turn to Him. But the commandment is not to pursue that as the ends in itself and put your hope in mere wealth. He goes on and says this, Paul does, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may be able to take hold of life that is truly life. Can I share with you something straight on? Being a generous giver is not going to take life away from you. It's going to give you life. Being a great giver is the good life. Not acquiring great possessions. Jesus was a giver because His Father was a giver. For God so loved the world that He hoarded. God so loved the world that He gave out of the very heart of God in whose image we are made. He is a giver. And you will find the good life as you become a giver. And this is why it ends this way, that you will find life that is truly life. One of my favorite verses, John 10, 10. In one version says this, I came, Jesus says, that you may have life and have it abundantly. So you're in the game. Are you out trying to pad your stats, make yourself look good, acquire wealth that maybe you can pass on, maybe not to someone else, and live the good life according to American consumerism? 
Is that your pursuit and mindset? Or is your mindset that I want to give away? I want to steward all that God has entrusted to me. For it's His. It's not mine. Where is your mindset? Jesus saying, I came to give you life and give it more abundantly. He's he's exactly right. I have found this true in my life. All the riches I have, things can come and go. Wealth comes and goes up and down seasons. I've had means and I've not had means at different times in life. But the preciousness of Jesus and knowing Him and becoming like Him and allowing my life to be conformed to His likeness is where life is and life is abundant. And if you're a non-believer today and you're hesitant and this whole subject of, wow, where's the preacher going with the whole money and giving issue? Friends, it's not about the money and the giving. You cannot add to God's wealth. He owns everything. But you can align your heart to have more of His heart working in and through you. Hudson Taylor, the great missionary, China Inland Mission, he said this, God is not looking for men of great faith. He is looking for common men and women to trust His great faithfulness. And so in this whole subject matter of trustful, trustworthy, faithful, giving, tithing, it comes down to are we willing to trust God's faithfulness in every season, in every week, in every day of our life. Trustworthy means this, able to be relied on as honest or truthful. Are we a steward? A steward was a manager of another person's wealth. You may be very familiar with the parable Jesus taught in Matthew 25, 14 about the parable of the talents or the bags of gold it's referenced in more modern day where He gave one servant five bags of gold, one servant two bags of gold, and another servant one bag of gold. The first two multiplied, doubled the bags of gold when the master went away for an extended period of time. But when he came back, he said, well done to those two servants and what you've been entrusted with a little bit, I'm going to give you more. But then he turned to the one who had one bag of gold and he says, I was scared, I was fearful, so I buried it. And the master said, why didn't you at least put it in the bank to get interest? And he took that bag of gold from the person that was irresponsible steward and he gave it to the one who had five bags of gold. We are called to be trustworthy stewards because God owns everything. We have nothing. And we are called as stewards. But in this stewardship, and I could have phrased the common practice today in a much more generic way of being a trustworthy steward. I want to substitute that word steward for the word tithing. The tithe, and you hear it referenced. In fact, Pastor Zach referenced it when uh, he said about if you want to give to the Lord today, your tithes and your offerings. The tithe, let me be clear, is one-tenth or 10% of earnings. It's the historical biblical standard. It was taught even before the law was uh, it was given, or was offered at least by Abraham and even Jacob before the law was given. And then the law sort of instituted the tithe, 10%. Here's 10% of my income, I give it back to God as an offering. 
and in that time it had to do with animals a lot and or uh, maybe other produce or that kind of thing was given into the storehouse uh, God's kingdom work in the New Testament you don't find really any teaching on tithing and so some people say well that's an Old Testament thing it's not a New Testament thing and and that could very well be but if you look at the New Testament teaching it's not focused on what you give it's focused on what you keep and it's actually a much more difficult teaching than the Old Testament teaching of tithing so we sort of hang with the idea it's the biblical historical standard and it's a good starting launching point when it comes to having a giving heart because here God gives you 100% of everything and He says, give 10% back to me for my kingdom's purposes, for my use. And so we are to give a tithe, Scripture teaches. And Jesus, He referenced the tithe, but He didn't reference it as a teaching point. He referenced it because there were some Pharisees, some religious geeks, or heat that would keep the tithe, but they didn't have righteousness, mercy, and justice for people. And he says, yeah, you tithe and you brag about that, but you don't give the other. So he wasn't dismissing the former with the tithe. He was saying the righteousness, mercy, and justice was not coming out of their life. You may have various viewpoints on whether the tithe is a practice for today or not. I'm not going to spend time arguing there, but I will say if you want to climb into the New Testament and think that it goes away, it probably maybe does because it focuses not on what you give, but what on you keep. Because God says that we are to be generous in all ways. And that generosity is not as maybe you might think of when you hear the subject of giving. Scripture teaches my giving is to be I'm going to give you some words. My giving is to be legalistic, coerced, dreadful, obligatory, easy, uh, inconsistent, and careless. Is that what Scripture teaches? No, <laughs> not at all. Or maybe you say, well, Scripture teaches my giving is to be a tip. Hey, here, God, here's a few bucks. Uh, a bribe. Hey, I'm going to give you this. You're going to give the sum to me back. A weapon. Well, that's what the Pharisees were doing. How about a kickback? Well, if I'm going to give this much, then he's going to shovel a bunch back my way. That's why I'm going to do it. A badge. Look what I do. Did you know I tithe? You know how much I tithe? You know how much I give? Oh, leftovers. Well, here they are. There's a few leftovers. I'll give that God. I'll put that in the offering. Or a lot of times it's a mystery. Who knows? Who knows what their giving is? And not that people check out giving, but if someone's asking, it's a mystery. Well, that's all void. Scripture does not teach any of that. I'm going to give you four words, and we're just going to be brief in these as we move to a close. The first is cheerful. Scripture teaches it's to be motivated by God's grace and given with a joyful heart. Without question, it's to be cheerful. Second, it's to be sacrificial. Every point of giving is going to hurt. Bringing my best and my first fruits to God. First fruits were the first pick of the crop, right? Don't give the last leftovers. You give the first fruits, right? Up front, right? Even before taxes, some people say. Up front, gift to God, right? And it's going to be a sacrifice. A.B. Simpson, who founded the Alliance, said, Give until it hurts, and then keep giving until it doesn't hurt anymore. Now, what's he mean by that? He's saying that when you give, especially if you're giving 10% of what you make or earn or some wealth that you have, it's going to have some sacrifice, some hurt to it. 
Now there's offerings, uh, scriptures teach, that are above the tithe and there's sacrificial giving. And when we were able to take possession of this facility for God's use last year at this time, there was a lot of sacrificial giving. Many of you are continuing on that path of giving sacrificially for the sake of a vision that we had to have our own location in the heart of the valley, to rock the valley. And many thanks, not from me only, but from other leaders, but foremostly from God for making it happen. You understand what sacrificial giving is because many of you are walking that out right now. But Scripture teaches that it's to be cheerful, it's to be sacrificial, and it's to be proportional, measured according to the provisions God has given you. Probably one of the biggest encouragements I can give is don't think of a certain dollar amount. You think of the percentage. A tithe is 10%. You can't tithe 5% or 20%. Tithe, the word itself, literally means 10. And so just take the step of faith, 10%, this is what I make, let me give this to God as a sacrificial, cheerful offering to Him and walk out in steps of obedience. And then the last is regular. Consistently give. It's an act of worship to God and forwarding His mission. I want to challenge us in a couple ways as we close. I want to challenge us to consider shifting our mindset so that we can understand better God owns everything and I'm called to be a steward. The second thing I want to encourage you to do is to evaluate your giving practices according to these four um, single solitary words and see if God would have you to change maybe the practice or the lack thereof related to tithing. There's two passages of Scripture, and boy, if I had time to do a whole series on this like I've done before, we would take time to walk into them. Two passages I want you to reflect on and study on your own. This week, Scripture. Remember how it lines the walls of our mindset and understanding. And the two passages are these. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 and Malachi 1 and three. Second Corinthians is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Christians in Corinth related to uh, some other Christians that were giving generously. And Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament, and you find in there God is a little heated about some things. In Second Corinthians 8 and 9, it starts off this way, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace, and it's truly a grace that God has given the Macedonian churches in the midst of very severe trial, sort of maybe, maybe we like we have trials today, their overflowing joy and extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. And the dot, dot, dot there is for you to continue reading. In chapter 8 and chapter 9, Paul steps back and exhorts other churches to give and other people to give generously And he reflects on the example of the Christians in Macedonia. And one of the things he says, they gave themselves first to the Lord, which had to do with lordship, right? Jesus, you own everything. And then out of their poverty, they gave according to their means. They gave a proportion of their wealth, the idea of giving like 10% a tithe. But then he also says later on that you should not be uh, giving out of coercion, but give with a cheerful heart. There's some incredible truths about giving. He's upholding this great church of Macedonia and inspiring other Christians to give in light of the example that they've set. 
Macedonian church is a great example. But Malachi represents the example of, well, some people that God was quite perturbed with because they were doing fakery with their religion. And he called them out on it. And it says this in Malachi 1.3. I mean, beginning with chapter 1, and then you can also read in chapter 3. A son honors his father and slave, his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty. He was really bothered with them. When you offer blind animals for sacrifices, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Come on, man. Look at this. What you're bringing in here to offer me. You hide your eyes from the best in the flock and you go get the broken, lamed, and sickly one at the back. That's not first fruits. That's not the best. You're just trying to game this whole thing. And he called them out on it. Ever since the time of our ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But then they ask a rhetorical question, well, how are we to return to you? And so in chapter 3, he continues on, Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? I'll tell you how. In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, your whole people group. Because you are robbing me. Then he says this in verse 10, and you may be familiar with it. It's front and center on the issue of tithing. Bring the whole tithe. The whole tithe, 10%, into the storehouse. And then he says, test me in this. Only place God says, test me in all of Scripture. Says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not then throw open the floodgate of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Friends, he said this, not because you give in order to get, because you're merely giving God all that he has. He lets you live on 90%. You're giving him 10%. And he's asking you to give because it's going to align your heart more with his heart. And you will be blessed. The good life is being obedient in the area of giving because it reflects healthy, wholesome stewardship. Friends, I don't know what heaven holds, but he's looking at us in this day and age and asking, can I trust them with greater wealth? Can I trust them with greater wealth? I want to be a trustworthy steward. And I want to challenge us to up our game today by stepping into the act of trustworthy tithing. Read those two sections of Scripture. Spend some time in prayer and ask God what He would have you to do. Not under coercion, but out of a cheerful heart. And this practice, this uncommon practice, who does that? And it's tragic that only 2.7% of evangelical Christians do it. This uncommon practice of trustworthy tithing will kill the tyrant of materialism week in and week out, even when it's painful. Mine's automatically taken out by debit. A certain time of the month, 
And when it's taken out, I go, oh, I forgot about that. But that's good. That's my gift. It reminds me that I'm not my own and that God's called me to steward his wealth. Jesus wants you to have your heart aligned with him so that we can have a greater life impact. You know, every week it's sort of giving you the opportunity. I want you to take your phone, and this is how we're closing. <laughs> yes, this is, I'm going to do it. I want you to take your phone. And just like you text people, I want you to text the word awakening to 77977. It sounds like a commercial or a bad televangelist. I don't mean to be that way at all. I don't know if you've ever done this. But it's one of the means we've given to our society and culture who does electronic giving. And it's a way of just stepping in to being faithful to the Lord in our tithe. It's quick, it's easy, it's secure. You text the word AWAKENING to 77977, and it's going to pop up a message that says, Thanks for your generosity. Click to this link. And you click that link, and that link's going to take you to this screen here. This screen here, which says, I carry to give, simply follow the steps, the Awakening Church, the amount, zero dollars there, you're going to fill in something. In fact, somebody before service, when they saw the slide, said, we should put in a large amount there. It's like, no, that's, that's God leads you. And then it says giving type, general ministry funds is giving to the storehouse of God where God's provisions are taken to move his kingdom forward and, and to be able to bless uh, the ministries that he's called us to as a church. General funds, general ministries fund, you can click that. There's also benevolent fund, there's global ministries fund. Give a one-time gift or make a reoccurring gift. I want to encourage you to consider make a reoccurring gift. Some of you have done this. Some of you give through this app. Make a reoccurring gift, and then frequency every week, every two weeks, every month, first and 15th monthly. It can be a one-time gift. Maybe a gift periodically during the year, whatever. As God leads, that's fine. But fill it out and press send. And then you're going to go, oh my gosh, is somebody going to track this? Well, treasures track it, so you have end-of-year giving. But no, no one's going to be brooding over what you give or call you up in case you miss. But this app and this electronic means, I think, is a helpful way. It's a very um, discipline-producing manner uh, for tithing. And you take your income. Multiply it by 10%. That's your number. You divide it by 12. You divide it by 52. You divide it by 24. Put the number in there. Pray to God and send it. And see if he will not pour out a blessing from heaven. The riches. I said trustworthy tithing. I didn't say prosperity gospel tithing. I didn't say legalistic tithing. I said trustworthy tithing is the uncommon practice that I want you to do. He will pour out a blessing. It may not be monetary. It may be. But He will bless you richly. Foremostly, He will align your heart to the heart of God. Jesus is actively at work. I call you to up your game. Many of you have wanted to do it. Many of you have fallen off the wagon doing it. This is the challenge. We've done it before in this congregation. I've passed down people to say, trust God, test God in this for three months and see what he does. 
you know, in three months, I've told people before, if you give and it doesn't work out, you want your money back, we'll give money back. I've never had anybody actually take up that offer, but it's the idea that I want you to step into an uncommon practice that is unnerving you this whole last 40 minutes of my talk. You have the opportunity to establish a routine and even pass it on to your next generation of kids to say, we honor God first. We give Him the first fruits. A cheerful offering. A sacrificial offering. A proportional offering offering and a regular offering god may you bless your people as they're challenged in this day to be obedient to the uncommon practice of stewarding all that you own and lord with this historical biblical standard of tithing as relates across the centuries lord you've used that as a starting point to be able to have people step out and I pray right now for strength of people that are saying, well, I could step into it, increase it. And that's all fine, God, if you're leading them to do that. But Jesus, I pray that you'd give boldness to people right now to just take the 10% tithe and begin committing it to you. Lord, for your kingdom's work and to honor and glorify you because we worship you, the one who provides all and owns the cattle on a thousand hills who can take care of our life as we seek to take care first of your kingdom and have your righteousness. In your name we pray, amen and amen. Thanks for being a part of today's challenge.